Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Guess what you got to do? I'm doing it. Anyway, welcome oh, to God. episode 100 and something of the Carmudgeon Show. My name is Jason Camisa. That is Derek Tam hyphen Scott. We are on the Haggerty Podcast Network. Yeah, we are. Uh, and today we're talking about uh, a lot of things, but mostly the uh, the fascinating story of Citroën. Yes, um, if we is, are pronouncing it correctly. Which we'll find out. Um, um, Citroën is really interesting, and this is an interesting episode, even for those of you who are not particularly into uh, the, the Citroën thing, because these cars are a sign of what we've lost in the automotive world, thanks to the homogenization of controls and suppliers and everything else yes it is a real adventure to interact with the citroen did we talk about anything else we probably uh, went on we probably we all talked about the fact that uh next week or later this week we will be on display at radwood in san francisco uh, we're gonna do an our ask cars me will be on display we're on display we're doing an ask me anything do you know oh. what that means right i mean hey derek i mean insert name of insert offensive question I think actually the challenge that the Redwood guys set was like, you know, see if you can stump Camisa and shut Derek up or something. So it's no, it's, it's the be, other way around. Everyone wants to shut me up. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, more importantly, uh, there's that. And before we get started, a word from our sponsor, yeah, Lucid Motors, yeah, who are the maker of the highest performance electric car in the world, yeah. Give them that. For the moment. I believe the text you're supposed to read is the fastest charging. Fastest charging. Luxury car in the world. Yes. It's also a sports sedan. But anyway, yes. this, is, this is not me. You do it. You do yes. you. And it is designed in California and manufactured in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Jason has spent a great deal of time extolling Sideways. its sidewaysness um, and using tires up. Thank you, Michelin, primarily. Uh, and Lucid is also interested in us telling you about the lease and finance deals available on 2023 models of the Lucid Air and Grand Touring. Uh, for more information, you should visit lucidmotors.com where you can get a new lease on electric. Meaning leasing an electric vehicle. Yes. That's clever. It's like a lease on life except it's a lease on electric. Anyway. Uh, yes, and that could be your uh, <laughs> the fourth <laughs> time, and that could be uh, your new experience. I mean, I think if you want an EV, it's kind of the way to go. If you want an EV sedan for sure. Yes, I mean, you know, you could want an EV that's like an i three, like we talked about last week. Mm, you would be clinically deranged, or if you if like that. to be miserable. Yes. This is so we're doing this just to fuck with our friend who bought an i three. Well. This is the tax you must pay if you have chosen an inferior vehicle if instead of a lucid air. If you are stupid enough to be friends with curmudgeons, you're going to pay the price. <laughs> yes, you're paying it right now. However, you guys out there in radio and TV land, thank you very much for your support and continued listening. Yes. And actually, I mean that. No, that sounded sarcastic. But without you guys, we wouldn't be... Well, we would be here, but there wouldn't be cameras. <laughs> yes, we'd be doing exactly the same thing <laughs> without the cameras, and you would not be learning about uh, the miracles of Diravi. Bless which you. is a Citroen thing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh. Oh, oh, no. 
No, no, no. You make him do- bad. <laughs> bad. Derek. Derek, you have to clap. <clears throat> Wait, is this the beginning of the... It's whatever it is. But here, we are just not permitting... Look at you all, surprisey. Paolo tried to clap. Let me just explain this for the audience. Because Paolo's sick of watching this one being like, how do I... <laughs> and just smacking... Yeah, anyway. Hi. Hello. It's been a long time. Bonjour. Bonjour. On va parler français? Oui, bien sûr. And bait in Nederland. No, I will speak French. You can speak Dutch. Geen problem. Okay. Alors. We'll put subtitles in this. Alors. <laughs> oh, to alors. add to the inserts. Alors, alors. So, so all these languages are the same. Look, Dutch. So no one speaks Dutch. I don't know why no one speaks Dutch because it's exactly halfway between German and Engels. Engels. English. Now I'm thinking of the, all the different languages. So for those of you at home, uh, German in the is Netherlands. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1 through 10. Dutch, you'll notice, is halfway between that and English. Ready? 1, 1, 1, 2, 2, 2. This is really difficult to do. 3, 3, 3, 4, 4, 4. Fünf, fünf, five. I'm sorry, five in Dutch, fünf in German, five in English. So five in English, five in Dutch. Zes, sechs, six. Seven, seven, sieben, German. Acht, acht, eight. Negen, nine, nine, uh, whatever. Everyone's tuned out already. Yes. Zehn is ten, and zehn is ten. This is the same language. Okay, well, <clears throat> hopefully this doesn't start a war. Oh, here's it. Here, you want to start a war? I'm going to look directly to camera and say this. German is Dutch spelled wrong. And I'm going to look at the other camera and say, German is Dutch spelled wrong. No, ladies and gentlemen, World War III has broken out between Germany and Holland to discuss this. There's a reason why I'm speaking Dutch. Is or there? Educating aside people in from your... my shitty... The first... Look, I went to school in Germany and there were a lot of Dutch people and they would say like... Like, good morning. But they would all say, which is, do you want to go fuck in the kitchen? These are the things that high schoolers teach each other. And so if you have children, do not put them in high school with kids who speak other languages. Although they'll teach you really bad shit. I mean, they're going to learn that regardless of what language they're speaking in high school. Yeah, but why give them multiple uh, (laughs) outlets to express themselves? Uh, The reason I'm speaking Dutch is because the word Citroën actually comes from Dutch. Because it was a Dutch dude. Was he a dude, gentlemen? André Citroën. Yeah, but here's the problem. In Dutch, Citroën doesn't have the Tréma. umlaut. Tréma. Umlaut. Tréma. Um, d- two dots <laughs> on it. So it's Citroën. It's not Citroën. It's, so where the... They I were th- probably trying to franglicize their... Franglicize. By making it the world franglicize? By making it the world that doesn't exist en français. They could have just called it, how do you say lemon in French? Limon? Citron. Citron. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so you bought a lemon that's a lemon in multiple different languages? Uh, no, it's, in French, it's citroën. What is? The pronunciation of the word citroën. Of a car. But yes. the, the lemon is, the fruit is citron. Yes, citron. Without the umlaut. There's no E and at no all. E, all well, the umlaut would imply an E. So most German, for example, Germanic languages, an umlaut puts an E. So it's citroën. This is really f- linguistically fucked up. You know what else is fucked up? Wow, that <laughs> car is fucked up. By design, to be yeah, clear. No, 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 it's, it's not a bad car. It's just 
they had really good drugs. Mm-hmm. All of them. Yep. And they took them concomitantly. Concomitantly, yes. Con- con- Simultaneously. <laughs> Which is what we just did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, we're li- this is the linguist. Welcome to the linguistic stupidity episode of the Cormontan Show. Um, Brought mm, to you by uh, the French. Some French lemony car brand that's actually named after a Dutch person mm-hmm. with an extra umlaut. Um, I think his parents were Dutch. Whatever. He immigrated to France. Um, you have just allowed me to drive your Citroën. Citroën? Yes. Citroën. 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 We call uh, it the Chitron. That's what we used Chitron. to call them. When I worked at a Citroen. dealer in the past, we'd call them Chitrons. Not because of... Because it's any lack. Yes, exactly. Not because of any lack of affection yeah. for them. It's like calling it a Pontiac Grand Dammit. Mm, yeah. Or Grand Pricks. Who doesn't know? <laughs> oh, P-R-I-C-K-S. P-R-A-X. It's Pricks. We don't, we don't curse on this fucking show. Okay. Um, okay, so you have a Citroen, three syllables, mm-hmm. uh, that you've just allowed me to drive. Mm-hmm. It has allowed me to drive it also. Yes, finally, yes. You've owned this car for how many years? Uh, I bought it in like October, maybe November, October. And I drove it to for Thanksgiving up to, to, you know, a couple hundred miles. And then it promptly shot the bed. And finally is now back in service with a new electronic ignition from 123 Ignition. In spite of their best efforts to waylay it. The German branch of one, two, three ignition. They make electronic ignition conversion parts. It I don't know what waylay means. Delay. That, that, why didn't you just say delay? Um, there's a connotation, subtle connotation difference, which I wanted. Waylay implies like intentional, like um, um, obstruction of progress. Ah, that sounds more like something you'd get in Hawaii. A, a waylay. Yeah. Or go away. Lay. <laughs> I don't. Anyway. Um, I'll stop being a so the, now. So the car is now functioning. I had it back for entire days. I love that we pulled up to the studio. I'm in a bitch basket and you're in that fucking brown, gray, green gold, green gold, gris espadon. Espardon. 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 No, espadon. It's a swordfish. Yes. Swordfish. Swordfish gray. Yes fucking bat that car is so insane to look at uh, obviously every time i say this you're gonna have to take up a uh, insert an insert sure every part of the we'll get to the interior in a second every part of that exterior is styled and what i yes. love about that is so many cars are like you know the designers are like well, i want to put the line here i want to do this and then they shove a fucking door handle mm-hmm. on it the door handle is beautiful it's an icon maybe not icon it is a monument of industrial design Sure. Yeah, it's a crumbling monument. <laughs> okay. no, it's, uh, well, no, it's, I, I like truly. this one also because it's me- metallized. The Earth's later mm. ones were black plastic, and this mm. door handle in, in sort of stainless steel is much nicer. Every, uh, there's nothing I looked at on the exterior of the car that isn't beautiful um, in the weirdest way. Yes. The amount of detailing that went into the headlight. You sort of, you can typically, 1981, your car was 1981. When did production, what, 74, 76? 74 is when okay. the car was introduced, yes. So in 1970, late 70s, you could walk into it, any dealership in the United States and you could describe the headlights in one of two ways. <laughs> scrap, scrap, or Workle. Well, <laughs> scrap or Workle hadn't been invented yet. The seal beams were not allowed to be scrap. Square or circle. <laughs> That's it. Rectangle or circle. Yeah, they were square headlights or round headlights. And that was yes. it. How would one, dis- in English, please, not on French, because I'm sure the French have some word like 
Squirkle or something for this. How the fuck do you describe the shape of that headlight? Um, trapezoidal? I think it's a modified trapezoid. Is it quadrilateral? <laughs> is it only quad? Because I think yeah, there's, there's like, like two on the side, the bottom's flat, and then there's like a sort of okay, I guess angry it's, eyebrow. It's the fairing around it. There's multiple pieces of metal and yeah. it's insane yes it's and that's nuts. just the headlamps yeah yeah yep. <laughs> it just gets crazier from there yeah um yeah symmetrical hood bulge with a mono wiper on the yes mono wiper side. which reportedly uh this i learned in uh a book of moderately interesting car facts i think that's what it's actually called uh that the mono wiper on the jaguar xj40 and x300 was inspired by the citroen cx's I don't know of another car this early that has a single wiper. Um, on that, Ferrari like that. Boxer. Single wiper on that side that sweeps the whole windshield? I think so. I don't know which side it parks on, mm. but I think so. Mm. Uh, although it has a little auxiliary blade. Yeah. Um, there's probably some others. Even the antenna is beautiful. Yes, the antenna is beautiful. Sorry. And the craziest thing is, all right, so we walk to the back of the car, and here's this beautiful, long, sloping hatchback rear with beautiful detailing around the edge. I mean, it was chrome, I guess. It was polished or chrome around the stainless edge. Stainless steel. St- stainless, stainless steel. Stainless steel. So it's polished stainless steel, which allows you at the top piece of trim to realize that the, the window has been sat on repeatedly through the years and is deeply concave downward yes. into the passenger compartment, mm-hmm. i.e. luggage compartment, which you'd think it was a luxury, luggage compartment because it looks like a hatchback, and yet... It is a regular trunk. <laughs> For reasons or not or not why wouldn't yes, you yes. make a ha- it's a hatchback yeah i mean it's a hatchback with a notch there were coach builders yeah. who would convert them to hatchback but the factory never did you could buy a station wagon version of the car maybe that's why so they were basically just being resentful french like if you don't want the wagon you don't get any cargo usability i mean it's the same style hatch opening that my cabriolet has yes because you know but on that car you have a whole top that stores directly over it so you have to have this like mail slot entrance this car was it's, done purposefully yeah, with like to a be mail, yeah it's like a mail door that yeah. just hinges up from the and you could climb in you'd have to climb in to reach the back because it actually is a big trunk in terms of xy if not z not height yes um yes yeah you could you could actually be decapitated <laughs> trying to get into that thing um wild Yes, and it goes all the way down to the bumper, yeah. which was not necessarily standard in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like certainly the Rover SD1, if we're talking about other fastback shapes. But which was actually a hatchback. Which was actually a hatchback. Uh, yeah, Continues they, to be, in fact. Is still. <laughs> yes, there's one in there. Because it still exists. It has not decomposed <laughs> only yet. Only one. <laughs> we're the only one left. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, so yes, not a hatchback. Uh, what else? Okay. We c- concluded the, the exterior. Caps. Yes, hubcaps. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and those were the base model hubcaps. Not quite. This there were several trim levels. This is one up from the base. That is, fa- I mean, just art. And the mm-hmm. way they cut out, there's a there's a cutout the slot hat for the for the valve stem. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, I, of course, me being a jerk, I point out, I'm like, yeah, great for brake cooling. But of course, yes, there are these little vents on the underside of the front of the car, which direct the air to the brakes. Um, yeah. So it has that as well. Uh, covered rear wheels. Uh, and the spats are super easy to remove. Mm. 15 to 20 seconds to take the, the wheel cover, the spats off. Mm. And uh, what else do we have? The rear track is narrower than the front track. Okay, very narrower. Yes. I mean, I think I it's love- like five to eight inches narrower 
than the front. Was that just they pushed the front track out just so they could fit the trans? So it's a transverse two liter four cylinder with the with the, with quite a long conventional looking rear drive transmission on it. Yes, not next to, but right. at on, the, on so, the end. So the whole thing is quite wide. I guess mm -hmm. you probably couldn't package a narrower track. Uh, I mean, you could put the transmission behind like most other people would do, and that's I mean that's how you would do like a. Most front-wheel drive transverse cars. Mm, they're next to. Next they're to? next to, but they're shortened. This is like a full-length transmission, yes. so it really does take up. The engine, under the hood is pretty cool because you actually have two sections. You have the engine, which is dramatically forward of the front wheels and then leaned. And leaned 30 degrees right. towards the front of the car as well. But it really does make everything accessible. There are belts on both ends. Yes. And there's a timing uh, belt in the middle. Well, sort of. Yeah, there's a timing belt on one end and then beyond that is the drive for the alternator and then the other end of the engine is the hydraulic pump. Which, of course, you know, allows the car to just drop to the so far to the ground that the mud flaps are considerably deflected deflected yeah so fucking yes. cool yes. and then of course the spare tire that's directly next to the heat of the yes uh, of the muffler that's true that's a smart move the uh, spare tire is in the engine compartment <laughs> um and yes yeah, so we've covered the front compartment and the rear compartment and the exterior of the car I, and i'm just stalling because i don't know what the hell to say about the interior and wait till we get to the driving experience folks because wow <laughs> <laughs> yes so the interior has what is described as a flying saucer on top of the dashboard mm -hmm. that's been cut in half mm -hmm. half a flying saucer which is where the instruments live it's just flying sauce at that point <laughs> <laughs> sure um but it's a french it's very it's very buttery sauce it's delicious yeah, well, as long as you're north of Lyon, because that's where they use butter and sauce instead of south of Lyon is the cutoff where you, they switch to, to olive oil-based sauces instead of butter-based sauces. That's an actual thing? In France, yes. That's how you culinarily distinguish France and other France. Olive oil versus butter. Lyon. I think it's Lyon. Anyway. It better be Lyon after you've just humiliated yes. yourself on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, it's a car podcast, okay. not a cooking yeah. podcast. But still, that's which is why you shouldn't know this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the gauges, let's talk about this. My question is, having looked at the whole car inside and out, is was there a supervisory board of management at Citroën that went through every decision made and said, no, that's not weird enough. Go back and do it again. Do some more drugs. Consult somebody who's perhaps in a home for challenged people who's for like, you know, people who are locked up at institutionalized. night. Institutionalized. Institutionalized. <laughs> that it's, it's purposefully insane. Yes. It, That's right. I, that is okay. a very okay. accurate characterization. So the CX was the last um, of the Citroën designed cars. So Citroën became part of PSA. Mm -hmm. uh, Peugeot, well, yeah, let's go back to the, not to the beginning. Uh, sure. Why the okay, hell not? Why not? Okay. Nobody here knows anything about Citroën. Andre Citroën was a showman and uh, fast and loose and just all around wacko guy. Like uh, just would do all kinds of weird stuff for effect. And during the First World War, he built shells for the French military and mass production. And he, he visited Ford and was like, wow, these guys are onto something. And so there was a shortage of shells during World War II. And he said, I'm going to mass produce shells at, in a quantity. Not seashells. Shells to send to the Germans at high speed. <laughs> um, Just checking. You never know. Uh, and so mass production. He became a mass production wizard. 
Uh, and then he did that with cars. In 1919, he came out with what was actually a very conventional car, uh, but produced in large numbers. And I think in the 1930s, like 30% of cars in France were Citroëns, but just conventional, unremarkable, technically cars Mm -hmm. other than possibly they had like a sort of floating engine mount thing that was on flexible rubber mountings which they licensed i think from chrysler uh and then he had stomach cancer and was dying in the 30s and he said this was actually i think the motivation was the goal was to make a car that they didn't have to replace anytime soon Mm -hmm. so he said let's do maximum technical innovation and so this car was the traction avant which means like front front-wheel traction, drive. which is front-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this car had front-wheel drive, hydraulic brakes, uh, unitary construction, this this engine mounting system also. Mm-hmm. Very sophisticated stuff. And, you know, it worked, and the car was in production for over 20 years. Uh, so that was the start of them doing innovative stuff. It was styled by this Italian guy who moved to France, and his name was Flaminio Bertoni. Bertoni with an I, not mm-hmm. Bertone with an E. No relation. Uh, and that was the where the DNA for weirdness came from, or innovation. It's, it, it looks fairly conventional, like it's mm-hmm. pretty contemporary looking for a 30s car, like it was ahead of its time, but it wasn't weird. It was mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, modern looking. Uh, and then that became part of the DNA of the company. And they had this thing called the Bureau d'Etudes, which is the Bureau, Bureau of, weirdness? of Studies. Damn. Yeah, the of- office, okay. office okay. of Sorry. Studies, mm-hmm. I guess. And that was the like creative brain of the company and that was the group of people who were responsible for the the technical content of the traction avant and also of the du chevaux and the ds and ultimately the cx which was the last like real citroen before they Peugeot was like guys you gotta calm down (laughs) with all of the hallucinogens and everything else but Uh, did they i mean was there a sales problem No. So, well, it depends who you ask. Uh, The DS was sold, you know, in, I think it's like 1.3 million examples. It was not an inexpensive car. Not an inexpensive car, and, but it was in production for 20 years. And so 20 years of production, you know, anything you leave in production that long, selling decently, they're going to make a lot of. Really? First gen NSX, 15 years and 18,000 cars? It's like a sports car, though. Oh, but DS was a, very, a specialty car. That was a luxury. Sedan. Yeah, it was a it was a large car, and it was you know the replacement of the traction avant. So they had it was like a space that they were used to living in. But yes, if you were looking at post war France, I guess it came out in nineteen fifty five. Ten years after the end of the mm-hmm. war, prosperity is starting to be a thing. You know, the the car that came out earlier was the Du Chevaux, which is like the opposite, opposite end. And so they had this really big delta between mm-hmm. their two products one of them was a two-cylinder air-cooled that the, the big block has 29 horsepower <laughs> the, the, that, that's 602 cc's is the big block yeah. uh, the small block is like 400 something cc's with nine horsepower that's the development that happened over the course of decades um so that's how far they got by 1990 it's, it's kind of funny that you we would never see a luxury brand today that would have something on the order of i mean i, well, I get how could we even compare 
those two cars put, put those two cars in perspective in modern terms. Like a Dushavo would be um, smart a, a Mitsubishi, car. Not, um, yeah, Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi uh, Space Star. What is it called here? The Mirage. Mirage. Yeah, yeah three cylinder Mirage, which would basically be the smallest and least Viable. luxurious car. Yes. <laughs> On, and at the same time, a DS would be something more than a seven series, right? I mean, mm, by French standards, yes, but you know, by continental European standards, like Mercedes was making a three hundred, which is mm. in a distinctly different place and uh price wise it was also i mean the car was competing against like peugeot 403s and sort of pretty conventional cars it was a slightly more expensive than that car but not meaningfully i'm just i guess i guess maybe like a maserati some something premium that's not quite rolls royce but it's there i mean i just wanted to put it in perspective that they had the absolute bottom of the market as well as a pretty the top of the french car market certainly That having been said, it was a 1.9 liter car. Yeah, but the, you know the, the speed was never part of the French car DNA. It was luxury, luxury, luxury in terms of well, you know, and their by their definition, ride. it was um, a luxury car. I mean, it was the voiture à grande diffusion, which is the car of big diffusion. diffusion. <laughs> car for like long a, distances. Right? Uh, I oh, I imagined it as a car for widely selling. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. But I, I guess I should figure out what they meant when they called it the voiture à grande diffusion. I mean, à grande diffusion would seem to apply either large distances or just broad appeal, right? Yes. And, it was a car f- and the like appeal a- was very broad. Yeah. The car, so I uh, learned this recently that the DS, when it arrived in 1955, there were only two events prior that had been covered more extensively in the news in the newspaper in terms of like raw coverage. Mm -hmm. One of them was VE Day, victory in Europe, the end of World War II in Europe. uh, And the other one was the death of Stalin. Wow. So it was the third most covered thing to ever occur was the new big car from Citroën because the Traction Avant had been around for so long and was iconic and... Uh, and then look at the DS. Yes, and look at the DS. And so the the weirdness of the DS and the du chevaux and the, the traction was the result of the team that was responsible for the car. So there was André Lefebvre, who was the engineer, I guess, who he had come from Voisin. Voisin is a altogether like... How do I... How do you... I mean, it... The, those are truly aristocratic cars, like low production cars that are mega expensive and really technically innovative and just insane to look at. Mm. It was an airplane company during World War One, and then they, uh, the guy Gabriel Voisin, who started it, said he was going to make insane cars. Uh, I and think of luxury Bugatti, I guess, is probably yeah, the most. Yeah, I mean, Bugatti was also a luxury mark, right. but their their designs but were yeah, less not the GP, wacky. Not the Grand Prix stuff. Yes, but yes. French Art Deco luxury Bugatti. Yes. But even more so, it's like Bugattis are conventional yeah. by comparison, mm-hmm. aesthetically mm-hmm. and technically. Uh, I mean, they experimented with rotor, uh, uh, radial engines mm-hmm. in cars, um, oh. airplane manufacturer. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Lefebvre uh, went to Renault, and Renault is like a stick in the mud. Every you know, very square, conservative car company, and you know, having come from Voisin, he was like, "This is insane! Like you guys are so." unadventurous and uninteresting and so he went to Citroen and then they were like yeah come on by mm. <laughs> uh, and so there was Bertoni who was the designer and uh, the, the stylist and and then there was uh, Lefebvre 
uh, who'd come from. And then uh, Andre Citroën was also super into all of this stuff because uh, he wanted to make a splash mm-hmm. uh, and also produce a car that could be made for a long time. And so that was the brain trust that was responsible for the DS. And Lefebvre was so out there that they kept having to be like, hey, can you like dial it back a little actually? So the DS is actually dialed back from the stuff that he wanted yeah. to do. Uh, and so this is the DNA that that underpins the CX. And the CX, I think, still does a pretty good job of uh, being a true Citroen. Mm-hmm. So first things first, name means nothing. There's nothing... Of CX? CX, yeah. Uh, that is C sub D in French. Coefficient of drag. Oh, shit. Yes. The car is That's designed... That's really cool. Uh, is named for aerodynamics. It would be like the, the same, uh, the Chrysler Airflow, same sort of yes. similar thing. Yes. All right, but the, or the DS uh, was named the for... The Plymouth Coefficient of Drag. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was renamed to the Dodge Drag Coefficient, DDC. Um, the, <laughs> the DS was named because D the initials DS, when spoken out loud in French, is DS, which means goddess. Mm-hmm. And then the lower trim model was called the ID, which is ID, which is idea. Which is idea. Yeah. So it you was a clever name in DS. Yeah. To use. We don't have anything in uh, in modern cars that sort of are very cleverly named like that. I mean, we have the smart car, which is not smart. I'm barely a car. <laughs> uh, I can't say smart car. Smart car. Um, so you got to turn to Boston when you say that. Um, yeah. So it's a clever name. So CX was for coefficient of drag. That's mm-hmm. fabulous. Yes. That's really Although the cool. coefficient of the drag was the same as the DS. Mm, well, you know, one hard, was like point three, point three seven, and point three eight were the coefficient of drags so of okay. those those two cars. Fine. So still, both pretty good by those standards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. By, by that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so in the 70s also, uh, they Citroën is realizing that there is a large gap in their product line between the, the two-cylinder air-cooled car with lawn chair seats and the, the DS. So they came out with a mid-sized car, which was called the GS, which has um, 1,100 cc's. That's their mid-sized car. Mm-hmm. Uh 11 and 1300 cc's and that has the same suspension the, i mean we haven't even talked about Where the suspension yeah. or the driving experience of the cx uh but uh, that the gs is also a really cool car uh and for its lack of power it was pretty performant but because of its, its aerodynamics right. effectively right. uh so yes that was the landscape uh Oh, uh, the reason why I started talking about this is because Andre Citroën repeatedly borrowed and got into debt and bet the company on stuff. And they bet the company, he bet the company on the Traction. And the early cars, because they were so innovative, had technical problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically went bankrupt solving them and Michelin bought them. And so Citroën was owned by Michelin uh, until the 70s mm-hmm. when Peugeot took over. Took over. So Peugeot is the one who is like, okay, you guys have to start making more normal cars. Less weird. Less weird, yeah. They were still pretty weird cars. I mean, there's plenty of other Citroëns that came out after. Like the BX is a pretty unconventional car. The XM, which is the successor to the CX, also pretty weird. Pretty weird looking, but conventional underneath, right? Suspension notwithstanding. Right. right. Suspension was the was Citroën trademark. So that this self-leveling hydropneumatic suspension debuted on the DS, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yes or yes? Actually, um, they at the very end of the Traction Avant, they installed the system on the back of the Traction Avant, and they made like 3,500 of those just to like check. 
<laughs> that it was going to function <laughs> in production. Mm -hmm. And so they made, I think, 700,000 Traction Avance, and there are the, the top of the line one had a six-cylinder engine. It was called, I think, the 15H, mm -hmm. and that one has the suspension in the back only. Mm. Uh, and they made that for like three years and the, before the DS. And the DS had the system all around. All around. And so the, the system uses no springs whatsoever. Correct. It is just a fluid-filled sphere basically at each wheel at each wheel and, with and there's nitrogen a nitrogen bubble in it there is a membrane in the middle and there's nitrogen on top and hydraulic fluid on the bottom on the bottom right uh, and then there is a pressure regulator that is the the first place that the hydraulic fluid goes after it leaves the pump in the the high pressure pump in the engine compartment uh, and then there's a, a um, distribution block mm -hmm. that uh, controls the distribution of hydraulic fluid to all four corners there are some corrector valves that are able to assess the ride height and make determinations about uh, what to do mm -hmm. and when at which corners. And so damping is provided by the compressibility of nitrogen and lack of comp compressibility of fluids. So fluids are not compressible. You cannot compress a fluid, but you can compress air. And for whatever reason, they chose nitrogen. Don't ask me why. I don't remember. It's probably uh, something about, yes, non-corrosiveness, right. I think, if I remember. Um, yeah, this, nitrogen holds no water or something, whatever the fuck it was. And basically, so the, gas. all of these suspension movements are controlled via a bubble. Yes. Effectively. And it feels like it when you, when you ride on the car. I mean, it's remarkably well controlled. So the most experience I have with this system is in a Mercedes 6.9, W116 6.9, licensed this system from exactly. Citroën. Mm -hmm. um, As did Rolls-Royce. Oh, yeah. In the Silver Shadow. Wow, two, episodes in, box, a, yeah. two <laughs> episodes in a row talking about the Silver Shadow. Silver Shitbox. Um, but the, the characteristic of the 6.9 is it rides like a dream. I mean, it's really, really good, but it's out of control. So 6.9 is in constant motion and it's not particularly, it's not damped, right? Of course you don't have dampers. So there's nothing to stop the car from just continuing to rock. Your car doesn't do that. DS doesn't do that either. Mm -hmm. uh, so when Citroen did its own suspension, it was... What I noticed when I drove the 6.9, which I just did for the first time w with you, uh, is that it feels more German. It feels more firm. It doesn't have this like magic carpet character that the Citroens have. There, there is no car I have ever experienced that feels like a Citroen because no. you are really conscious of the presence of fluid. Mm -hmm. It's like being on a waterbed or yeah, something like exactly that. Yeah, exactly what it feels like. You know, somebody hits on one end of the waterbed and there's a ripple effect yes. throughout the whole car. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's unbelievably smooth. Yeah, it's the ability to absorb bumps, especially uh, low-frequency bumps. Like you're on the highway and you go over one of these things that you see a, another car kind of... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pitching, and the yeah. Citroen, it, you like kind of sense that it might have happened but it, it's you always had it in the 6.9s you always had this feeling something just happened so you'd go over uh, train tracks in them for example and you'd hear when, when the wheels hit it and then afterwards there was a, a float that would yes. come through the chassis it was you did not feel the impacts yes. but you just felt a float afterwards and the citroen yes. does this obviously same a, a distant same earthquake might yeah. have occurred someplace <laughs> exactly. there's there's a tertiary wave of something the shock wave through the through like the air that yes it's bizarre yes it's so cool did a breeze just pass by <laughs> but it, but the suspension feels different but somebody who would get in the car would just describe it as unbelievably supple yes the rest of that driving experience is not supple <laughs> i felt like a hack i mean shifter gas perfectly conventional throttle yes. response perfectly engine revs to 
I think the red line is 5200, didn't go near there. A lot of torque down low, short gearing, so it's kind of quick. It does its thing, it keeps up with traffic. Engine is nondescript in its four-cylinderness. Yes. The fucking steering. Mm, yes, Deravi. Huh? Deravi. Uh, huh? It's their, yeah. their French, uh, the Citroën's um, like, power assist system. So oh this is God. the slow version of it. The fast version was, uh, I think, two turns lock to lock, which was used in the uh, SM, which we haven't even talked about. The SM was the their fast coupe that had six cylinders that was based on the DS technology, mm. but was their top of the line Grand Tourer with, that could do 140 miles an hour. Two-door, big, elegant thing wacky beautiful yeah um but the steering it's it's not just the quickness quick the steering is unbelievably quick uh it's the self-centering thing that's just fucked with me pulling out and very assisted and the noise that it makes too so i mean the thing is you you know normally moving out of a parking spot and stopping backing up in a straight line and stop and you know or maybe kinking a couple degrees and stopping would never tell you something's different about a car it's once you start moving that the steering comes alive and it dances and talks to you this thing had me freaked out and calling a priest before we'd even gotten out of the parking spot because it self-centers when you're stopped and so the car is turned off i will let go of the steering wheel (laughs) so bad shit or in motion. Or whatever. Yeah. Anytime you let go of the wheel, it goes, yeah, and goes right back to, to center. center. Hydraulically. Yes. It is fucking wild. It's really unusual for sure. It is. I felt like a moron <laughs> more so than normal. But I mean, it's just such a weird experience to have when you're stopped. You're There's a little bit of load on the wheel and you figure, okay, I'm going to let go and it's going to settle like 10 degrees away. Nope. Back to. It will do oh, it also with the engine off once. While it still has residual yeah. hydraulic pressure in the system. Yeah, so in San Francisco, when you're parked on a hill over 2, 2% grade, I believe it is, you have to... Uh, yeah, 2 or 3%. Re- ...required by law to turn your wheels to the curb. So if your car rolls away, hits the curb and stops, in theory. Yes, yeah, so that means if you're pointed downhill, it means turning in towards the... Well, in regard... Yeah, it means pointing to the right. towards the sidewalk. Yeah. And if you're pointed uphill, then it means pointing the steer- wheels into the street. So you either way, you roll immediately back the into the The tire curb. hits a curb yeah. immediately if the parking brake uh, fails. You couldn't do that. I want you to go get a ticket <laughs> for not doing that in this car and then bring a video and be like, Judge, really? This is what, what would you like me to do? The car, I turn it off and I let go of the wheel and it goes... Back. Back to center. Yeah. Yes. That would be a very cool, fun thing to do. Uh, it it's sounds just, like a lot of bureaucratic pain, but... but uh, so it's one parking, for science. Like you haven't gotten a parking ticket before. Uh, I got one for no front license plate. So we'll go fight them together. I, but I think it's wild. You can't have the wheel turned. Now, we did play in the parking lot, and you do... If you turn the engine off first, and you, you can... There's still enough residual hydraulic pressure. You can turn the wheel all the way and let go, and it goes about a half of the way back. So there on might, the second attempt. On the second attempt. Yeah. Yes, it's there's wild. only so much hydraulic pressure, re- residual pressure on the system. Yeah. I think also, if you probably if you turned the car off, press and, the brakes five times, or just let it sit for <laughs> six hours and then yeah. did that, it probably wouldn't do it. The car bleeds down hydraulic pressure pretty quickly, uh, and so when that happens, the car sits on the deck, mm-hmm. uh, and so. When I bought this car, explaining to the transporter that the car is going to go down and make sure that, because it's a double decker, make sure that there's space for the suspension to go up when you turn the car on or else it's going to okay. go up into the underside of the deck above it. And the trucker was like, huh? the, the seller was explaining this to the trucker and the trucker was like, huh? yeah. and so he said, so the seller, you know, 
who's my friend Tom, actually, who we've discussed. Um, he he said, when the car is getting unloaded, make sure the guy has put the upper deck up high enough right. for the car to go up because the car will has Crush probably a up. foot of suspension travel between the high and low position and it only it takes... It is on the ground in low yes, mode. I yes. mean, we said that, it's on the ground. Yeah, and you, you, if you try to drive it like that, you'll be like, it has no springs at right. all. The car rides like it has no suspension. And then suspension. in full height, it is true. Like monster truck. Monster truck. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's quite a prodigious spread. But there's yeah. four positions, including the full down one. The other thing that the suspension allows you to do, which is a very clever trick, and, and Citroen publicized this with the DS, is um, they don't give you a jack in the car. Because they give you a jack stand. You put the car all the way up, put the jack stand under it, then put it all the way down, and then the wheel comes off the ground. Lifts it, uh, lifts and so it, it has its, its self-jacking. And you can drive on the DS. I don't know if this is true of the CX. You can drive with one of the rear wheels removed, and uh, there's tons of videos of people driving around on three wheels in DSs. There are so many jokes there was about self-jacking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not even, you didn't no, even didn't. hear any of the last huh? 15 seconds. Uh, one of the um, U.S. Uh, distributors of these cars habitually would drive around on three wheels mm -hmm. to build publicity yeah. and excitement and interest and would regularly get tickets for unsafe motoring because he's driving around on three wheels. Perfectly safe. Huh? Um, um, so yes, yeah. that was a thing. Wow. And then the brake pedal is also Citroen hydropneumatic. And it's yes. But it has a, a regular looking pedal, right. but the functionality is exactly the same as the famous mushroom that comes out of the floor of the, the DS and the You're SM. You're going to have to put an insert here because most people I don't think have experienced the little mushroom. Yes. I mean, um, it's just a button on the floor and people look at it and they're like, what's that thing? And I'm like, that's, that's the brake. <laughs> In theory. Actually, they work. But it the, works The weird thing is well. when you touch the button, it goes and spits back at you. So it kind of, it, I, how do you... It yeah, there's taps feedback. your toe, right? Yes. And then from that point on, it's all pressure, no motion. So yes. the harder you press... Yes, there's no travel, really, to the, mm -hmm. the brake button. <laughs> um, but uh, the harder you press, the more retardation you get. And same same with this pedal. So basically, there's a mushroom hidden up in the dash, and the pedal's hinged, probably. And just yeah, it's got it. a, a hanging... Um, but yeah, pedal. you really do feel like a hack trying to drive this car. Because every time you go for the brakes, like lock them up. Yes, and then it requires you to make a lot of adjustments. And we haven't talked about any of the ans uh, ancillary controls either, which are also <laughs> quite Bad extraordinary. Shit. You have also have not discussed the gauges. <laughs> the gauges, I think, are my favorite part of the car. Aesthetically, yeah. Aesthetically, Inside of the absolutely. flying saucer, there are these... They're called them drum type, mm -hmm. right? So it's just a thing that turns and it's always illuminated with this wonderful yellow light, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of whether the headlights are on or off. It was originally very clear white, but everyone smoked in the car so much <laughs> because French. No, it, it does look like all of the, the whole interior of your car just basically looks like someone smoked in it for a hundred years and it just became that color, right? It's, it's just, just that just 70s beige and brown. Beige. It's like this coaster, it's the same sort yes. of um, thing. But yeah, it is a very sort of, drawing room feel mm. in that whole cabin and but the back seats and the, the back seat seats. you sink into about three feet yes. i initially got in thinking wow this have great visibility and <laughs> yes and by the time it's deflated can't see past it incredibly soft comfortable back unbelievable seats. yeah um but yeah the gauges are so drum type as you start seeing but they also have a sort of holographic i guess it's a it's not holographic it's, it's like a magnifying a glass over lens, them yeah. that gives them this sort of like looking through um aquarium glass yeah. kind of feel nuts Yes, the, the, there is no, no there are no stalks in the steering wheel. Yes, no stalks at all. So all of the controls are attached to the outside of the flying saucer that the gauges live in, uh, and actually fall to fingertip really easily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
the is, like exclamation uh, functions, which is the horn and the high beams, are on the end. So you push in mm -hmm. towards uh, on on them to activate one side is the horn, which there are two horns. I was gonna say this. You press a soft press is a regular sounds like a two note regular yeah, like horn, meep, and then up, you press it in harder and it activates the air two note air horn on top of the regular horn. Yes, quite rum, rum. <laughs> yes. get out of my way. Yeah, so it has the Ferrari style air horns uh, for when you're angry rather than just polite. Excuse me. Versus get out of the way. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's the layout of the controls. The wipers are there too and the oh, turn I signals. I, which don't cancel. Non-canceling turn they, signals. Which they would cancel themselves when the, when the wheel self-centered. I also love the heater controls, which you cannot see without crashing into a tree. But it's got a little, it's got a guy with a hat. Mm -hmm. and a shoe and a shoe yeah that tells you your distribution yeah. either do you want the air up top or down below it's yes. wild yes i mean this is we i talk about this regularly because it's one of my favorite things but the lot before the standardization of markings on instruments where we all know that the you know toaster one means this or whatever mm -hmm. and everyone was just designing pictograms that it thought yeah. that they thought made sense but there was no universality, and so everyone's like, "What is the the squiggly, you know, bacon? I don't know. It's What's the rear defroster. You know the <laughs> duck button, right? We talked about this. Haven't oh we? yes, uh, is it? Uh, oh, he I've seen this remember. before. Hill descent control. Hill descent. Hill descent control, control looks like a duck mm. if you squint and don't have reading glasses on or something. Um, the uh what the hell there was something else i was gonna say who knows i i love it i mean i just love that the car is oh i was gonna say you speak french because or you speak citroen because we're like i asked there were two buttons and i said what were them i don't remember what the one was left one is the defroster the defroster which looks like a piece, sizzling piece of bacon if i remember correctly yes. and then the other one i'm like what's this and you're like i don't Maybe the interior light? And you pressed it, the interior light went on. So clearly you speak such a red. Yes. It's just bizarre looking. Yes. Um, it's it, Nothing about, well, not almost nothing about the car is conventional. The gear change and the engine interactions are totally normal. It should be a six different dog leg, upside down, three-dimensional shifter well, that you use with your... The predecessor... <laughs> the predecessor, uh, the, the DS, the last of the DSs, uh, they made five-speed column shift. Um, so that was deeply unconventional, was unconventional. and there the DS also had the Citromatic, which is also deeply unconventional, mm -hmm. which is a manual gearbox that the hydraulics control, and it has a sort of L-shaped shift pattern on top of the center of the steering yeah, column. That's nuts. So, but this is other than the key being on the on left the side, left, Porsche style, but not really. But Porsche style was put on the left for the Le Mans start, where they started outside of the car and ran in, and, and they'd be able to turn the ignition on while they're jumping in the car and putting it in gear and putting it in gear and ostensibly fashioning their seatbelt, which they didn't do. Um, mm -hmm. But this one is by the steering column, impossible to reach. You got to break your hand. Well, to, no, there's only one steering wheel spoke, so it's actually perfect. You go through the steering wheel. And risk decap de handization when no, it's in the straight ahead position. I, I guess, yeah. And then the chokes on the other side, yeah. of the steering column. Just fucking nuts. So yeah, it's yeah. a deeply unconventional experience. To me, I mean, the the appeal of the Citroen experience is just I, I cannot interact with that car without smiling. I, even now, I've owned it for a long time, but everything in it is so weird and so unconventional and so just extraordinary yeah. that it, it it makes me smile and it, that. You know, in my curmudgeonly age, not a lot of things make me smile. But look, last episode we talked about putting, you know, cars that are just outside your comfort zone and, and the idea of putting on a weird outfit. This is not my type of car, but you could not 
not walk away from that car with an appreciation that somebody had a sense of humor. Yes. That's what's missing from mm-hmm. so many modern cars. First of all, as JD Power and Associates has ruined the world by forcing every manufacturer to choose the same control layout. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think most people realize that all came from JD Power. Uh, the window switches on the on the left hand the left side of the door, for example, um, that came from JD Power, where customers who would buy something like a BMW or Mercedes with a switch in the center, they would say, "Well, that took a while to get used to." That was interpreted as an initial quality problem or a you know a initial reaction stuff um, or ding, I guess it was, and as did steering column uh, steering column stalks. So mm-hmm. you know, Mercedes still has had until recently that one stalk that did yes, everything on the left side the which left does side, headlights wipers. turn signals and wipers yeah um and everyone else's layout went away and we've sort of settled on it's on the right hand side if you're a german car it goes up to go on if you're japanese it goes down um but you know mercedes was a twist and it had all these different things all of these have been homogenized. push in on the end to get washer or, or a single wipe they did that later was a single wipe for a small push and then a and a, oh really and yeah and then washer for a big push oh. so th- all of these things you didn't know that would be a ding on jd powers where everyone knows on the right hand side that right stock when you pull it towards you you will have high beam flashing no, on the right. Oh, right side. Yeah, yes, the right washer. side is washer, and then put you know push it down, push it opposite direction. So down on a on a German car would be a single swipe. Mm-hmm. These are just all standardized. Standardization is good in some sense because we all get in the same on the car, and we all find the window switches immediately, and we all know where things are. I mean, I must say that getting in a Tesla is for me frustrating because none of that is there. I mean, oh, the 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 new one with the steering wheel controls, all oh, the new modern Ferrari stuff. That mm. pisses me off too. Mm. Uh, the steering wheel, there's too many buttons on the steering wheel. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Because <laughs> no. you were just like, I don't like the standardization. And then there's the one thing that's not standardized. And you're like, I hate it. <laughs> no, I don't like it. So what I don't, I don't appreciate, it's in theory for a market, it's nice to be standardized in that everyone, everyone can learn the controls, but I don't like it in that it destroyed what personality, what personalities were in the car. And let me, let me read to you something um so citroen is now part of a larger conglomerate of cars it's now part of stellantis yeah um and hold on where was this uh stellantis as we know is the the company that is daimler chrysler plus psa minus Um, mercedes minus minus a couple things minus ferrari also but this is the list of brands that is all owned by the same company abart alfa romeo chrysler citroen Dodge, DS, which is Citroen's luxury brand, Fiat, Fiat Professional, which is Fiat's professional brand, Jeep, Ducato, Jeep, Lancia, Maserati, Mopar, Opel, Peugeot, Ram, and Vauxhall. This is deeply upsetting to me that Citroen should be the same company as Opel which is a German car brand, effectively. Mm-hmm. And Vauxhall. Vauxhall, which is a British mm-hmm. car brand. And and Maserati and Fiat. This is not cool. Yeah. I'm uh, not cool at all. Citroën should be on a pedestal by itself, allowed to be It was be for crazy. a long time, but they just, I think they had to mainstream. The, the Part of the reason why this occurs is, I think the same thing that happened with Saab is that cars are expensive to develop. And so you have to sell them in large enough numbers to large enough 
numbers of people who are not going to be interested in some weird footnote of a car. That having been said, the CX, for all of its weirdness, sold in large numbers. I mean, they sold generally up until the end before they started to sort of falter out of age, but they sold 100,000 of those cars a year. That's insane. That 100,000 regular-ass people mm-hmm. who were just like, oh, I'd right. like a car, and I'm okay. 75,000 of which with- were French. Yes. They were not regular-ass people. They were regular French people, which is fucking weirdos. True, but- true. But also but there's so- patriotism. But, I mean, the, a lot of people were interested in this experience. I mean, the, the same thing happened when the DS came out. Uh, they sold, I think it was... Uh, 80,000 orders in the first 10 days during the motor show in Paris yeah. when the car came out. By the end of the first day, it was like, a, a, I don't know, 7,000 cars or something, mm-hmm. orders taken on the DS. Like, the car is super wacky, but people were into it. Right. Like, large numbers of regular people saw that and were like raising their hands and being like, I'm into that. And Tesla Cybertruck. I mean, yeah. you have the same phenomenon. When something comes along that's just so different, people will are willing to spend money on it. I look, I, I understand the reason why that sort of commoditization of cars has happened, right? Everyone, everyone quote unquote needs one, everyone wants one. And so as a mass produced product, they have to become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It's just the way it is, right? I just never, to me, a Miata is too expensive, but it's actually less expensive than it was in 1989 adjusted for inflation. Everything is cheaper than it was. Um, and at the very top of the market, we have these 200, 300, $400,000 and $5 million and $10 million cars that are truly bespoke and truly different and truly interesting. And I don't think, I don't think it should be that way. There needs to be something for the every person that's different. Yeah, I mean, um, that's Citroen what Citroen did that. Did that. Yeah. Saab did that. I mean, a and lot of different companies did that when it, the cost of developing a car was less. Like, there was a distinctly different um, character to a Volvo from a, you know, Peugeot or BMW yeah. or yeah. anything. Uh, anymore. And that is certainly less pronounced not that they all use the same transmission and suppliers oh, right and that's far as i was gonna say part of the part of it is that every there are probably four transmissions in the world at this point for automatics in the world that might be a slight uh, ah, let's think about this zf makes automatics um Borg warner still do they i guess they do i mean i guess we we have dual clutches but like torque converter automatics you probably have five left in the world you have a jasco which is the mercedes and uh, nissan unit um, there are not too many of them left. 10 speed. That's a GM and Ford combined effort. I just think as the, as the automotive industry has consolidated to make the products less expensive to increase volume, um, they've all le- leaned so heavily on suppliers that every car is constructed is that- out of the same parts and then yes. tweaked to be yes. 1% different and, here or 1% different. Ferdinand Piech was a big uh. Pioneer of this. Oh no, it's not the Carmudgeon show anymore. Now that it's, the no, it's, it's <laughs> spinning wheel of waiting. Uh, Ferdinand Piech was a, a pioneer of this. I mean, yeah. and he did it in clever ways. But you see it in a lot of VW Bentley. What is this thing doing this now? This thing is stupid television. If you work for who is a Samsung, Still we Samsung. hate you. <laughs> no matter what you this do, stupid fucking television. We've talked about this before. Where every time you turn it on, you plug in a, like the computer. This is my laptop, and it it displays it, and then it thinks it's smarter, and then it has to go to this detecting device screen where it tries to figure out if it's a computer or if it's not. If it's a computer, it wants you to change some other option so it can control it. And then if you don't do that, it starts playing some 1960s friggin' 50s black and white TV show. That? TV show that fucking maddening. Just. Turn the goddamn television on and do what I tell you to do. Like it's 1974. 
Yes. Right? I want to have to get up to change the channel. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we were saying things about Citroën. Uh, right, PS doing this. Right, in Volkswagen Group. And so you see like, yeah, the mirror motor should be the same in all cars, right? Why do you need more than one mirror motor? It, it, window switches dressed up. I mean, you even see it a little bit if you get an Aveyron, you're like, I recognize certain of these things. The key is exactly the same as the switchblade VW key right. that you are used to seeing, except for it says Bugatti on it instead mm -hmm. of Volkswagen. It's so, not okay. Uh, it's really not okay. Yeah, it's a loss certainly of identity. And, and that those cars now, the Citroëns now make great collector's items because they are cheap and interesting mm -hmm. and the citroen people are incredible they are so weird they are have to be deeply cheap wildly mm -hmm. entertaining nothing put on about them like you go mm -hmm. to a ferrari or porsche event and it's all these like <sighs> dick measuring like say did you know that i've got the only one that blah 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 and and you know I am made of money and my toilet is also made of money and my family's made of money and, you know, and none of that with Citroen mm -hmm. people. There's just this, like, intense passion and, like, quirkiness. It's, it's a great I mean, enthusiast community. Yeah. Even VW is that way. <laughs> I believe that. VW community is that way. The best I've seen so far has been Lotus, mm. where every, they're all miserable and they're just commiserating. Like, mm -hmm. how did you fix this? And how did you get your car running? And what fires of it? What structure broken off? And that. It's great. I mean, they're, they're true car people. Yes. Um, and I would suspect you'd have to be a true car person to put up with a with Citroën. Yeah. Um, which makes it that much more special. Yes. And the experience, I mean, even among old cars, and I have talked about this, I know, before, but the common entree into old cars, if you have some money, is an air-cooled 911, and people like Pagoda SLs, you know, or R107s. There's a sort of prescribed way that people generally start approaching collector cars mm -hmm. you know mercedes are easy enough to live with and there's durable and you know as old cars go it's not that much pain to live with and so a lot of right. people are buying you know old sls because they're like i want something to put at my second home that i mm -hmm. can use and will start when i go there and you know it's like a typical rich car a rich person uh, classic car mm -hmm. thing or a you know whatever uh, something also simple american like a jeep or a bronco mm -hmm. right all these cars that are really in vogue right now mm -hmm. that's where people start going for classic cars right. and depending on what your interests are and how much you're you're seeking to have a truly weird experience then you can get into a citroen and this just be like i've had i've experienced everything else now i'm ready for just pure Blackout. unadulterated weirdness right and they're, they're great at that that's the, the cool thing about that car is it's not just weird. It works. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure mm -hmm. to operate. It's, you know, and the other thing I've noticed is that people who aren't into cars are very interested in the car. And there are things that they can appreciate about it that make it novel. I mean, you look at the dashboard and you're just like, what the fuck is that? You sit in the back seat and you're like, this is the world's most comfortable back seat. You go over a bump at speed and they're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like not the, the uninitiated. You're not seem explaining to really, this has got variable valve time. Yeah, exactly. All four cams. You're okay. not like this was right. the first car ever to break 100 horsepower per leader like regular people are yeah. like i don't know it seems to be a shitty old bmw to right. me <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's something yeah. universal about the appeal of the car because it is so weird and everybody has these constructions that exist in their head about you know what is the uh, a car experience and then you get in that thing and nothing is as you expect mm -hmm. and it's just so amazing to me that they sold a million of them to just citizens mm -hmm. undifferentiated yeah. citizens who weren't car enthusiasts yeah. So, cool. you know, that's, uh, that's a, I get a ton of value out of it. I like sharing the car with people because you, it is so much easier to find a Ferrari Daytona, mm -hmm. which they made 1400 of, 
than a, a Citroen yeah. to like see at a car show. That's true. Oh, speaking at a car show, oh, uh, we can yes. end on this note. If you'd like to see Derek's Citroen uh, or our Rover SD1, with any luck, both of them will be at the uh, at the Radwood Show in San Francisco on July 22nd. Uh, we probably should have started this at the beginning of the show, but July twenty second in the San Francisco. We could, which we haven't recorded yet, but they don't know that. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, San Francisco, Radwood, San Francisco. The Radwood is the San Francisco is the home, the original home of San Francisco. Uh, it's all on. Radwood Coffee. was invented in San Francisco, yes. um, except not in the city. This is the first time. That's the first time it's been city. in the city limits, but it is at the venue, which is, I think, the best venue for a car show it's gonna one be could imagine. Um, and we're doing stupidly either a Carmudgeon Live or an Ask Me Anything or anything. Yes, in collaboration with the uh, DWA guys who are the originators, inventors of Radwood. We have something, 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 we're doing something and we'll be there. But the but your Citroën will be there, hopefully on the ground. It uh, depends uh, whether you come at the beginning or the end. If you come at the beginning, it will be up in the air. And as the minutes progress, it will be lower and lower. That's fabulous. And hopefully uh, or I might just dump it at the beginning and drop it all the way down. Like everyone does at, at yes, car shows yes. with their bags. Air it down. Um, <laughs> and the rover, should it decide proceed. to start? Pr- proceed. Should they both decide should to they proceed? Both decide to proceed? It is interesting to note that those two cars were competitors yeah. in period. That they were, after the same buyer, they were priced similarly. And they were sort of this large executive transport device similar in silhouette maybe yeah. and yeah. very little else <laughs> yeah Un- yeah. They're both con- unconventional. They're both yeah. quirky. They mm-hmm. they both have quite a bit of personality, but the execution is totally different. One is a live rear axle and front engine rear drive with a V8. V8. Stick. I guess they're both five speeds. They have that in common. Yes. That's but it. Very little else. That's it. <laughs> and uh, slopey rear windows. Yeah. Uh, so yes, okay. this has been our discussion of unconventional motoring. We uh, are wandering further and further afield in the Carmudgeon show. No, you've always been weird into French things. You've yes. been promising the Citroën episode for... Well, yes, the Citroën has been uh, intransigent, but yeah. it seems to be functioning well now, so uh, fingers crossed. So we'll see you at Radwood. All right, see and you we'll at Radwood. Happy trails. Guys. Well, we'll see. We have one more episode, I think, before Radwood, right? No, um, no, this episode is... Uh, Radwood is Saturday. This episode is going live on the 17th of July. Today is the 17th of July, and Radwood is the Saturday, the 22nd. Right, row. We'd better get cleaning. Yes. I'll take a shower later. (laughs) All right, we'll see you there. Happy trails.